Welcome to Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week, we will explore the journey of Dr. Jessica Van Valkenburg. Jessica is an assistant professor of middle grades education at Columbus State University, whose research and service work center around parent and family involvement in education. Jessica holds an Ed.D. in Curriculum and Instruction from Gardner-Webb University. She was also recently appointed to the Georgia State School Superintendent's Parent Advisory Council. Jessica is a colleague, collaborator, and friend at Columbus State University, and we both joined the faculty here in the fall 2020 semester. Can you hear me? I can hear you. How you doing? I am doing all right. How are you? I'm all right. I I'm don't trying enjoy. to find a good, a good area to do this where maybe you won't hear anything else. Okay. Well, take your time. So I was sitting up here and then my neighbor started cutting the grass. They're jackhammering down on front, uh, on front, is it Front Avenue behind the office, but you can't hear it up here. Hopefully you can't hear that up here and my dogs don't, you know, start going crazy. <laughs> what are you working on today? Uh, well, I on this episode, we will hear Jessica's stories about her passion for science and scientific discovery and how that has carried over into her teaching in the middle grades and currently as a teacher educator. On the following episode, Jessica will share about the importance of building a classroom and school community through effective communication strategies with students and families, including how she has drawn upon her experiences as a parent in this area of her teaching and research. For Jessica, science was a passion, an area of constant engagement outside of school from a very young age. Her parents were very supportive of her scientific inquiries. You will hear her share stories from her childhood and how this passion for science carried over into her work as a middle grade science teacher. Um, science is obviously what I chose first because that's what I started teaching. Um, so like then, why, why, like how did you get interested in science? Like where is that from a young age or is it something you came into later? No, I was always interested in science. I, um, I was a curious child and my parents always let me experiment and let me do things on my own. So I remember specifically in, I must've been in third or fourth grade, I made my own overhead projector out of a box and a light bulb and a mirror <laughs> and used to teach my brother. Um, so I always did things like that. I, I ended up winning the science fair in elementary school a lot and staying interested in doing science clubs in middle school and getting really interested in biology in high school and I actually had plans to go to medical school until I realized how many years <laughs> that entailed. Uh, and I then changed my mind and I had done really well with some of the teacher prep courses I took in high school. And I decided, well, if I can't be a scientist, then if I can teach science, that would be the next best thing. And then you ended up going to college for many years down the line anyways. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, give me an, can you remember like any of the science projects that you won awards for? Any specific memories of that? Yeah, I uh, won the science fair one year when I successfully bred beta fish which is a very detailed process. I had to black out the aquarium and feed them P 
pieces of egg and all kinds of crazy stuff. And my parents had a huge mess because I was in elementary school. Um, I also did, I did a science fair project with earthworms, determining if earthworms really helped the soil. I had a bunch of different plants in the house and put earthworms in some and didn't put earthworms in some. Uh, and we found earthworms in the house for years after that. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, That's awesome. I also, I did one um, at a very young age. I remember... I froze a lot of different types of liquids to determine, you know, if they would freeze or how long it would take them to freeze. Um, that was probably mm-hmm. one of the first ones I did. You're doing like fairly regimented science where like you were controlling variables and collecting like hard data. That's very impressive. <laughs> yeah. So like- Well, uh, my dad was into technology, so we actually had a computer when a lot of other families did not. And so he was always there to help teach me what I could do on the computer to support what I was doing in science. So I was one of the only students that would actually have tables and charts that were created on the computer. My mom was more um, really supportive of the process, even when I was really young and she was always, she always had me by her side. I was always included in whatever process. If she was sewing or baking or whatever she was doing, I was right there in it. Uh, And at a very young age, she started letting me experiment with cooking and baking. uh, And it just kind of went from there. And she was always supportive of any idea I had trying to get me the materials so that I could experiment and do my own thing within reason. It doesn't sound terribly far removed from how you are with your kids. You have two daughters and they, I just see pictures you post where like they have a lizard or they're in the kitchen making fettuccine pasta noodles from scratch with you, things like that. Yeah. I try really hard to let them you know, be their own person and explore. And if they're interested in something, we try it. I didn't want to spend all day in the kitchen <laughs> making pasta, but they really wanted to. So um, I kind of let them take the reins and try. My experience was that I was I was always pretty good at it just because mm-hmm. I did a lot outside of school in terms right. of reading and, um, and learning on my own. Um, but I did always have teachers that were they wanted to include me. They wanted to ask me to do outside activities. They wanted my help, uh, you know, to help prepare for class and do things that I wanted to do. Um, But I also wasn't your typical middle school student. I didn't mind getting dirty. I didn't mind so much what people thought of me. Um, And I think that that helped. Um, But I will say that I did have that experience but it was not in science. It was in math um, Hmm. where I didn't feel I did have teachers in math that made me feel as if I couldn't do it, um, which really hindered some of my growth in science uh, because of the math that is involved in science. I felt as if um, I couldn't do it and I would get down on myself and, and my dad who was great at math would step in and help uh, and help me practice and, and help kind of guide me along the way because math was, was more of a struggle for me, which math and science normally go together, but for me, they weren't as fluid. (laughs) 
Um, so, but in the actual science classes, I tend to tended to always do well until some of the higher yeah. level math started being implemented. And what were some of the ways the teachers made you feel that way when in your math classes? Um, just telling me that things were wrong and just kind of leaving it at that. No explanation, right. no, no help. Um, I had a math teacher one time that told me that I was never going to be able to take a higher level math class um, because I just didn't have the foundation. I wasn't good enough with my multiplication facts and things like that. Um, but I proved them wrong. And after lots of practice and tutoring, I did take upper level math classes. <laughs> so, um, you know, just really not being supportive. I, I had a few teachers that just weren't supportive at all. And because I did tend to struggle, I kind of got pushed to the wayside. Yeah, I started out teaching science, just teaching um, and pretty quickly became a lead teacher uh, just because more of my organizational skills, my communication with parents, uh, being able to, you know, organize field trips and organize schedules and things in that nature. Uh, and then I also took on the department chair uh, role not long after that, which, you know, involved aligning curricula between grades and taking care of, you know, ordering supplies for all the grades and making sure that the labs were set up and that they were mm -hmm. fully stocked. Um, but that's, that was something that was a great experience, but it did take a lot of time and there was no extra compensation for those roles. Um, it was just something that I did because I loved it. And because I wanted the students to have the best experience they could. Um, right. So, and so like, I'm interested, we've, we've talked about like what you've taught, but I've never really asked about like the type of teacher you were with students. So like, because you had such a passion for science from such a young age, I feel like it would bear the reason that you would want your students to have that level of excitement about science too. And obviously you, you put the nuts and bolts together when you were in those leadership roles, but when you were actually in the room as the teacher, like what, what kinds of things would you do? Um, like what were some of the intentional approaches you took to teaching science? Uh, I was purposely out there a little bit um, and eccentric in the classroom. So I, I had outfits. My, my coworkers used to call me Miss Frizzle because I had. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I had outfits that were specifically geared towards certain units we taught. Um, I had you know, geometric leggings with a bright blue top that would go when we taught about the electromagnetic spectrum. I had you know, shirts with rocks on them and moon phase bracelets and things to just to get the students interested. Uh, we took pictures on the International Space Station one time and I wore an astronaut suit that week <laughs> because we were working on the space station. I printed all the students' mission badges. Um, so I really tried to get them as engaged as possible. And sometimes that meant doing silly things to get them engaged. We did a lot of a lot of hands on work. Um, the idea was that in my classroom, I didn't want to just stand and lecture. I wanted them to do the work. I wanted them to be in the process. So I very rarely lectured. We did more um, activity based learning, project based learning 
hands-on, you know, STEM type activities where the students would build and create uh, and then find the explanation, which I found to be um, really successful uh, for the most part. You know, there were a few students that were really reluctant, uh, but in the beginning of the year, usually. And then once, you know, they learned that this is the way the class was going to go for most of the year. They, they normally opened up um, and did really well in those types of activities. During this current academic year, Jessica and I were able to purchase and integrate Lego coding, robotics, and STEM kits with our respective teacher education students. We discussed insights from integrating design-based approaches in our courses, including how fostering a growth mindset and the ways we and our teaching candidates approach science and STEM assessment can build confidence and passion in future young scientists. Okay. Um, it's still going. We're still working on it. Um, the students, I started out with one of the kits, um, having the students, I wanted to show them the resources. So we looked at the resources. Uh, we looked at some of the teacher resources and the student guide, and I had them take the role of the student. Uh, and they actually right. built one of the pre-planned lessons. And we talked about how we could change it, how could, we could use other materials uh, to really accomplish the same goal that the Lego kits have. Because realistically, as a first-year teacher, they may not have access to some of those kits. Um, we then mm -hmm. moved on uh, to one of the other kits that allows for more coding and really more design. Um, and... They felt more comfortable because a lot of them have not coded before and going through and taking the role of the student again uh, to really kind of right. understand that kit. And that's what we're doing right now. Um, they've actually finished up. And at our next class meeting, we're going to actually hope that the robot works. Uh, and then after that, they're going to actually do their own design process now that they're familiar um, with the way everything works and they'll work through that process of, okay, let's design and let's go through, they're going to explore and then they're going to figure out what they want to do, you know, build it trial and error. Um, and then hopefully have a successful product at the end. What types of conversations are they having around it regarding like pedagogy and teaching? Like with my students, a lot of them, assuming that student role, like you said, they, they're ending up approaching it, like coming out of the experience from a place of empathy where they're like, all right, when I was the learner, this is what I perceive. So here's what I can then do as the teacher. Are y'all having conversations like that or talking about the teaching around it? We are. So they're realizing and pointing out throughout the activity, you know, what they're doing as the learner and what a middle schooler would be doing as a learner and how as the teacher they could, you know, accommodate for that or change the activity mm -hmm. um, or change their strategies. Uh, so we're getting some really nice conversation and some really deep learning, you know, out of that. And I have emphasized that as a teacher, you need to do this with every activity you do, especially if you've never done it before, uh, just to get a sense of the time that it's going to take, the preparation, questions students might ask. Uh, when they built one specifically, you know, one of the students said, had I not gone through this, I would have never been able to tell a student how to create this Lego because the instructions were not clear. Um, so I think we're getting some really good uh, discussion and some really good experience out of the activities. 
Yeah, I think it's the idea of doing science to be able to teach science effectively. And I think it's necessary. And I, I like coming in because we were both hired to come in at like the height of the pandemic when vaccines weren't even available yet. And I was just like, well, we can't gather around a table and do science demos, but this has been a cool like social learning activity. And I think it's um we're, we're never going back to normal, but it's starting to feel more like, Hey, we can do things like this again. And it's been really, I've really enjoyed it. It's also been like part of me. I told them I had to be very brave doing this because a, I've never taught with like Legos before, but also I didn't know how this was all going to turn out. I had some broad ideas. I'm open to criticism and they've definitely given me feedback on how I could improve the assignment next semester. But um, did you have that experience as well, where you kind of had to like go into it somewhat blind, but hopeful that it was going to work out? Yeah. And I had, I had played with them myself beforehand um, to try to make sure I knew what was going on. And, uh, but it was still a learning experience because, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you do something, each group is going to do it differently. Um, Right. And, but I think that one of the biggest challenges I've had is that my students, they don't want to still at this level, they don't want to be wrong. Um, So they're having a hard time stepping back and really being creative and thinking about what they want to do. Because originally with this coding set, I just wanted them to take the reins and just figure it out. And and that, that wasn't going to work. They, they were not comfortable with that. Um, So then I said, okay, well, we'll do one together and, you know, I'll be the teacher, you'll be the student type. Um, But then after this, we are going to do one that's, you know, take the reins. Okay. Um, we also had like a ton of conversation around like growth based and growth minded assessment. And like, there was so much anxiety when like their original design didn't work out. I was like, well, that's kind of the point, right? Like supposed to learn. And I said, I don't even want to call it mistakes. Like I hate that expression learning from mistakes. It's just, that's learning. We put this negative connotation on when something doesn't work out. It's like a negative thing. No, it's a learning opportunity. So then I would ask them like, how can that inform your assessment approaches? And we, I mean, that was, it was one thing to talk about assessment, like, I guess, abstractly that way, but then for them to experience it and they're like, okay, yeah, no, we really do need to assess like this. Um, Cause that's how they were being assessed for the activity. They, I felt like there was some good insights around that. It sounds like your students have the same experience. Yeah. And across the board, I have found that not only in this course, but in other courses, students do uh, tend to be a little more uncomfortable with with growth based assessment, uh, which which is, you know, how I prefer to teach. I prefer, you know, to teach based on growth. You come in at point A and my job hopefully is to get you to point B. And and to Mm -hmm. see that growth, I don't expect you to know everything, um, but I expect you to grow and learn and for your knowledge base to expand. Uh, And a lot of students are still uncomfortable. And I think as, you know, as STEM learning and as, you know, science learning really starts focusing more on growth based assessment that students may become a little more comfortable with being okay with, I guess I should say not always getting that perfect score, but, you know, really enjoying that they're growing, that they may not be a perfect student. They may not get that 100, uh, but they are seeing growth. Um, And I think that that is something that is very important in education right now. 
I agree. I think it's part of it, or maybe a lot of it is a product of the system. Cause like, that's how they're used to being assessed and not feeling okay to take chances. And we, I actually sit them down. We look at the, um, the state test for science, which begins in fifth grade when we look at it from an elementary perspective, but it's all content knowledge, content knowledge, content knowledge. Nothing is situated in an authentic context. And I also emphasize the idea of science process skills over content knowledge at the elementary level. And they're like, well, there's none of that here. So then we have like, I have to like help them rationalize. Okay. Well, how, how can I teach like this? But then they're going to be expected to be tested like this. And it's like, it needs to be some systemic change. Um, but I still think there's room for growth-based assessment within that system. And maybe that's part of the way we enact that change. I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely, there's gotta be a happy medium somewhere. And that's what I tell my students is, you know, we have these standardized tests and we have these questions and things that students are expected to know, but you also want them to be able to go through the design process and, and to show those skills, those process skills and, and that hopefully, you know, at the end of the year, they can show that they can do both, uh, that they can use all those science process skills and that they can, you know, show that they have learned some content along the way because that's right. what the states it's, focus on. Jessica's story exemplifies trajectories and paths that we ideally want our young science learners to traverse in their K-12 educational experiences and beyond. Opposite of her experiences as a math student, Jessica was supported in her scientific inquiries and interests from a young age by her teachers, and she worked and still works diligently to provide similar learning opportunities that are engaging, welcoming, and focused on growth and student input. Additionally, Jessica had parents who were supportive of her scientific endeavors. Fostering family and community involvement and connections is an area of Jessica's research and teaching about which she is very passionate. And we will hear more about that on the next episode on this podcast feed. You can follow Jessica on Twitter at underscore Van Valkenberg. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I am Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.